Thanks for listening to the New England Baseball Journal podcast. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. Opening day for Major League Baseball is set for July 23rd, and many players with New England ties are on big league rosters heading into the shortened 60-game season. One of those players, former Boston College pitcher Justin Dunn, is expected to be a part of the Seattle Mariners' six-man starting rotation. Dunn, a first-round selection in the 2017 MLB draft, has made a commitment to using his platform as an African-American professional athlete to speak out about issues of racial injustice and police brutality. He joins the podcast to talk about his experience as one of the lone African-American baseball players on just about every team he's played for, including the Gunnery Academy in Cheshire, Connecticut, and Boston College. He also shares a conversation he had with his father when he was just five years old when he was taught how to approach a traffic stop with a police officer. Dunn's college coach, Mike Gambino, is the second guest on the podcast. The BC head coach shares what factors went into recruiting Dunn and what measures he and his coaching staff took to make sure Dunn felt comfortable and supported on the Chestnut Hill campus. For more on these topics or coverage of the Futures League, Newport Collegiate Baseball League, Area Code Games tryouts, or a history of the top teams in New England prep school baseball, visit the New England Baseball Journal website at baseballjournal.com. Now, let's get right to the interview with the former first-round draft pick from Boston College. Justin Dunn made his major league debut with the Seattle Mariners last September, just over three years after getting selected by the New York Mets in the first round of the 2016 MLB Draft. Justin was the 19th overall selection out of Boston College in 2016. He was later part of a 2018 trade that sent Robinson Cano to the Mets. Dunn, a native of Freeport, New York, came to Boston College by way of the Gunner Academy in Cheshire, Connecticut. Between high school and college, he spent seven years living in New England. With his fastball velocity in the high 90s, Dunn is one of the brightest prospects in the Seattle Mariners organization. Justin, welcome to the podcast. No problem. Thank you for having me on. Was that was that fair to say your fastball velocity is in the high 90s, or did I overshoot that? It's fair. It's you, fair. You'll take that? Nice. All yeah. right. Um, well, I guess, uh, you know, we're on a pretty similar schedule. I don't know if you've been following it at all in, in New England or Massachusetts in terms of the return to baseball. Uh, it's kind of on track with what you guys are doing in professional baseball. Uh, teams are starting to get back out there and practice, and then there's going to be games uh, in the near future. And we're starting to see some summer collegiate baseball leagues come back with no fans or in a limited capacity. It's definitely been different with the distancing and the masks. Uh, what's it been like for you in the return to baseball? Um, very different. You know, uh, we, we have to get screened before we even go in the facility. Um, everybody's wearing masks around. Um, obviously no fans in the stands playing against your own teammates in practice is a lot to get used to, but a lot of fun. Kind of ha- It honestly has a very fall, um, a very fall vibe to it of um, inner squads and just being together with the guys and, and building that camaraderie that you have within a locker room. So in a way, it's, it's different, but it's also really good to get back out in the, into the facility and get on the field with all the guys and get together and get ready to go play again. Has the lack of fans been noticeable, or would you normally not – not really be noticing the fans this time of year when you're just trying to get back in shape? Um, I mean, in, in spring training, you're not really looking at the fans. 
Um, I think that the bigger test will come when, when you're facing someone in a different uniform and uh, to see if the same adrenaline is there because the fans do add another aspect of adrenaline that um, just playing the game doesn't give you. But um, I think as baseball players, we should be okay and, and be able to get up and ready to play for um, play for the team and play for knowing that everybody's watching us back home. Yeah, absolutely. I was reading an article about the outlook for the for the Seattle Mariners this year, and it said you might benefit as much as anyone from kind of the unusual season, the shortened season, because you could earn a spot as a potential six starter in a six man rotation. Uh, I know it's been a kind of a weird spring in terms of training and everybody has access to different things. Do you feel like you're ready for a role like that? Yeah, I mean, if if that role, if I'm given that opportunity, I definitely feel like I have the ability to step right in and, and kind of run away with it. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a very good setup in Arizona and was able to throw live BPs and long toss and lift and do all that good stuff. And when the facility opened back up, was able to, to start facing some of my teammates and, and start facing some really good hitters. And I really like where I'm at right now and, and ready to kind of get going here on game one. Do you live out in Arizona now, or is that just where you were when everything kind of no. came to a stop? Yeah, I'm, I'm still a New Yorker. Um, I just didn't get a chance to go home. Um, it was either between New York or Boston um, because that would have given me the best two setups to kind of stay ready. But uh, the virus was so bad there that um, it made more sense for me at the time to stay in Arizona. It was still fairly fresh out there. Um, I had access to the facility. My teammates were out there. I had throwing partners and to get the same good work in in uh, good weather. So I decided to stay out there and spent the whole quarantine in Arizona. Now, as I've been reading, uh, as you've been, uh, as all of us have been following professional baseball, it seems like. Guys have been making, you know, over the last couple of weeks, making the decision to either opt out or, you know, some have expressed reservations about returning. And it seems to be like it's largely related to kind of where guys are in their respective careers. For instance, a guy like David Price might look at it and say, it's not it's not really worth the risk for me to quarantine for my family for two or three months. I'll just come back next year. Whereas other guys don't really have the luxury to make that choice. How comfortable are you uh, with the return to play plan for that MLB has in place? I'm extremely comfortable. Um, I mean, those guys, you're talking about guys with families and who knows who else at, at their inside their house. Um, so I, I don't knock them at all for, for making the best decision for their family. If I was in that situation, I'd be doing the same thing, but it's, um, it's just me and I'm really excited to play. So I think the MLB is doing everything they can to keep us safe and, and make it as, safe as a return as possible and um i'm really appreciative of that but also um i'm feeling for the guys who had to make that tough decision at the end of the day that is, i mean i can imagine one for if you do have a family or vulnerable people back home i was reading an article i was also reading an article last week about the mariners and it's actually one of the more diverse teams in the, in professional baseball i think it said maybe 11 of the uh 60 man roster are black, whereas only I think eight percent of players across MLB are. Um, many of those players uh, on the Mariners, at least, uh, have committed at least this spring to using their platforms to speak out against racial racial injustice and police brutality. I wanted to ask, um, and you you admitted to that too. What factors uh, go into this decision to be more outspoken about that? Personally, I would, I just got to the point where enough was enough. I always this has been happening for so long and I've always had my own opinions. Um, but because of the stage I was at in my career and 
always kind of thinking about what other people would think about what I had to say and, and not want to step on anybody's toes or cause a riff or really just take away from the game because all, all I care about at the end of the day is playing the game and I don't want to jeopardize that. Um, but but playing on a team with 10 to 11 African-American other players with veteran African-American players who have been here, been around, um, understand the business and for them to encourage us to speak and the Mariners have been amazing and encouraging us to speak and having our back and, and trying to get our message across and our teammates are so understanding and, and helpful at the same time. It really made us all feel comfortable to, to kind of get our thoughts out and, and help people understand and use our platform. It's a good message to get out there. I mentioned earlier uh, the low percentage of African-American players in Major League Baseball, and I guess it's even in a lower percentage at the college and youth levels. Was that uh, lack of diversity reflective of your baseball experience? 100%. I was one. I was always one of an entire team or one of two. Um, you didn't really see any, um, especially in college. I mean, in the ACC, maybe saw two or three African-American players in the entire conference in my three years there. Um, and, and travel ball, I mean, I made friends with the Hayward family solely off the fact of they were the first African-American family I had seen on the travel ball circuit um, coming up at 12 years old. So it's a very small circle, um, hoping to try to regrow the game back in our community and, and get kids excited to play. But I definitely did see that coming up through my career as a baseball player. What, challenge does, what challenges does that present when there are just, uh, you know, one or two African-American players on a team? I wouldn't say a challenge. Again, it, a lot of it is just stuff that I've grown up having to deal with. Um, the biggest challenge was when I, when I would deal with certain, uh, we'll say racial aspects of, of people's, um, beliefs and thoughts and trying to feel comfortable enough to either bring them to coaches or to teammates or having to bury them inside. Um, so that was probably the most difficult thing. And, and the thing that I'm extremely thankful for with being in this organization and on this team is having African, other African-American players that I can go and I can speak with um, who understand where I'm coming from. Yeah, and I was reading in that article about um, people, you know, the African-American players on Seattle being a lot more vocal that you had you had, had a talk with your dad about, uh, you know, at a very early age, I think you said the age of five, about how to interact with police as an African-American. Was that, or what What did he say to you, and was that your first memory of, of becoming aware of racism? Yeah, that's, it wasn't even a memory of racism. It was, it was just kind of instilled as me, in, in me as, this is routine. Um, it, this is what's supposed to happen. This is how you're supposed to go about it. It's not. It wasn't racism or anything about it. They they tried not to portray it in that in that light because they didn't want me to look at everybody like that. Because not everybody looks at people in that in that light. It was more of you need to understand that things are different because of your skin color, um, and because of that, you are in a way a target, but. If you can handle the situation in the right way and de-escalate the situation, um, which I think is the biggest thing that my parents were trying to show me as a child, was that you have to understand where the police officers coming from at the same time. Um, they're they're uneasy, very uneasy approaching a car. Um, so they were trying to teach me how to not only show respect for the officer, but 
how to handle the stop in which I would make sure that I was returning home in the right way. And it was essentially just have your wallet out. If you're going to ask for your wallet, say, excuse me, officer, my wallet's in the cup holder. May I get my wallet out of the cup holder? Yes, sir. Okay, I'm going to reach for my wallet in the cup holder. Thank you. Here's my ID. Registration, it's in the glove box. Is it okay if I reach for the glove box? If not, would you like to go in and reach for it? I can reach for it. Okay, great. I'm going to reach into the glove box and get my registration. Just little things like that. Um, and it, it was funny. A couple year, couple years into driving, got pulled over for the first time, and it was just like clockwork. And the instincts just kind of took over because it was what I was taught from a very young age. I have kids that age too, and it's a dis. You know, for on one hand, like you want to get them aware of what's happening in the world on the other you know you don't want to um you don't want to get them scared or frightened but i think that's a great way to deliver it like hey it's just a transactional thing these are the things that you have to do and you have to be aware of well i wanted to ask you what at what age did you start playing baseball and was it something that you always kind of had a gift for even at a young age my dad said my mom and dad told me when i was three i started throwing the ball to them um, like at three, I was throwing a ball length of the pool, my dad said, and I, my earliest memory was about five or six playing T-ball in Queens. Um, so I've been playing ever, we'll say, we'll say five is my earliest memory mm-hmm. and I have never picked up anything else other than a baseball. Oh, really? That's the only sport you've ever played? I mean, I dabbled in other things. I'm, I'm just not very good at it. I wasn't very good at anything else and I didn't have the desire or the passion to pursue anything else and get better at it. I just wanted to get better at baseball. Now, what went into your decision to go to the gunnery? Was that was what was your experience like there? Um, so it was kind of it was college prep, preparatory school. Um, it gave me the opportunity to one experience college life um, at a younger age, so that became more normal. Two. I had an amazing coach in Jeff Trundy, who is the coach of the Falmouth Commodores in the Cape Cod Baseball League. Um, he took great care of me. He he showed me interest. And honestly, as part of the reason that I am where I am today, we worked week in and week out at the gunnery from my freshman year to my senior year to get to where I'm at now. Um, he had great relationship with college coaches. That's how I got in contact with BC. Um that's how I met Coach Gambino. That's how I met Coach Friedholm and started those conversations. Um, and I just fell in love with the campus, man. Um, small school and, and got to know everybody really well. And academics was amazing. And I made some really great lifelong friends that I'll have forever. Was it kind of a, a shock to go from, um, you know, your middle school experience to going to a prep school like that? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, when I first got the news that my parents wanted to do this, my dad wanted to do this. My dad is crazy. Um, I, I, in a way, didn't think he was being serious. Um, I was kind of just like, yeah, okay, we'll see. Next thing I know, I'm at all these boarding schools. Next thing I know, I'm, I'm taking the PSAT to get into the school. Next thing I know, I get my acceptance letter. And then next thing I know... I'm on campus and my parents are moving into my room. We're moving into my room. I'm packing everything. And I look out the window and they're driving off and it got real. And I remember crying for the first week straight. I don't think I left my room. I literally sat on my bed with my infield glove. And I just, I had my Leatherman tool that me and my dad would tighten my gloves with. And I would just tighten my glove in my room all day, tighten it and untighten it, tighten it and untighten it. And that was just my safe place of 
sitting in my room and, and having my baseball glove. And after about a month of being there, I made some friends and got comfortable. And it was the best move of my life going there. I would do it again in a heartbeat. I would send my kids to prep school. I'll recommend it to anyone who ever asked me. I think it's a, it's a great opportunity. I got to college and I wasn't in too much shell shock. There's still some things I need to learn, but the day-to-day life of it, I understood and had under wraps pretty well. Were you pretty heavily recruited out of, out of high school? No, nope. Mm-mm. I was small, man. I was about, I'll put it in perspective this way. My freshman year, I got to, to high school. My grandmother was 4'11". I wasn't taller than her. My senior year, I was probably 5'9", 140 pounds, two-way guy. Yeah, I was small, so I, I wasn't really getting a lot of looks. I talked to a couple schools, but once BC kind of gave me an offer, I jumped right all over it. I jumped all over it, man. Um, it was just a perfect fit for me. Small school, or not small school, smaller campus, not the biggest campus, um, fairly close to home, three, four-hour drive. My parents could get to me. I could get home if I didn't feel comfortable. Um, my parents would come see me play every weekend. My brother could come see me play every weekend. It's in the ACC. I had the chance to play right away. And the academics, you couldn't beat it. And then on top of that, being the small guy and playing for the school that everybody thought in that conference had no business being there um, appealed to me in a certain way of going and shutting people up. I, I always play with a little chip on my shoulder because I was always doubted. So going into BC, I kind of carried that same chip and, and wanted to get that program back on the map and wanted to be part of the class or the classes that got BC baseball back to where it needed to be. And it also helped that Coach Gambino, when he was recruiting me, told me I was not good enough to play there. And I, I don't know what his tactic was with that, but it worked. It kind of pissed me off, and I wanted to show him, and I committed a couple of weeks later after that. Yeah, that is a weird recruiting strategy. Yeah, ask he, he did the same thing to me and King. He told me and King the same exact thing, that uh, he's taking a chance on us, and we would get beat in the ACC. Ooh. Bad. Oh, yeah. Man. So I, I imagine it took it wasn't an immediate success story at BC. Did it take you a little while to uh, start having success there? It did. It did. Um, I was very immature. I was mature, but immature in certain aspects of life. Uh, when I stepped on campus, very first, very first fall scrimmage, I'm going up against Shaw, and uh, Gabriel Hernandez goes, "Don't throw him a fastball in." And the young, naive freshman in me, I got drafted out of high school, and I was like, you know what? He's never faced someone like me before, um, so I'm I'm a challenge. I'm going first pitch fastball down and in. And I let it eat, and he hit it onto Beacon Street behind behind the baseball field, old Commander Shea. And Gabriel kind of started laughing, and the team started laughing, and it was my first piece of humble pie that I've ever gotten. And it just kind of had me go reflect, and my command was all over the place. I wasn't doing well academically. I had to stay for summer school, and that's when things really started to change for me. I got more mature. I understood how to work out. I understood how to handle baseball and school at the same time and really became dedicated to my craft. And that's when things really took off for me. That summer is when I first hit 96 and started to jump up into the mid-90s, mid to upper 90s, started to get on the map a little bit in the Cal Ripken League um, and started to get on the, get a little exposure within the Cape as well. Yeah, that's huge. And by your junior year, your top 20 pick in the draft. That's amazing. And now you switched. Was it your junior year? Like you were you started as a closer and then made the transition to a starting pitcher. Is that right? Yes, sir. 
And what was that transition like in the middle of the season? Like, how did you get your your pitch count up that quickly? Um, <laughs> that's a great question, man. That's a great question. Um, so we, I was closing early in the year, obviously draft year, and my advisors at the time wanted me to start. My my family kind of wanted me to start, but we were we had such a good team at that time in sixteen that. I didn't care what I did. I, I wanted to leave school knowing that we got the program to Omaha. And Coach called me in his office and said, hey, I, I want you to close. The year before, I was closing, and we kind of did a three-in-one deal where I would close three innings on Friday and then one on Sunday because that's where we were losing our games. And we talked about it, and I decided – we kind of decided that it would be better for me, for the team, because we had a solid rotation. We had Jake Stevens. We had Mike King and Jesse Adams, and we had the bullpen arms to bridge it to me now in the ninth. So I, we were talking and I said, you know what, coach, forget the three and one. I want to be up every night and I'm not, if you need me for multiple, I'm up for multiple, but I'm up every night. We're going to win every game that I, every chance I get to shut the door, I'm going to shut the door. And we got off rolling. We came out hot. Um, I think I had like four or five saves within the first week or two. Um, And then we hit a little skid there in the middle, kind of where we always do as a program. And, came to Florida state weekend and we got rained out. We played one game. I got up to pitch, uh, didn't end up getting in. And then I didn't pitch for like a week straight or something. And we ended up playing a Tuesday game at Harvard or UMass Amherst. And, uh, coach Foster took away my breaking balls, my slider and my curveball, and told me all I had was fastball changeup. That's it. And I had to go out there and get a save fastball changeup on a midweek. And I usually didn't, I usually wouldn't close on Tuesday, Tuesday, Wednesdays. It would be my day to kind of reset from the weekend if I went all three. But because I hadn't pitched in a week, I needed innings. So he got me out there. And I think I went two innings fastball changeup and just kind of kind of mowed through them a little bit. And, and the changeup was really on. And we went to practice the next day in the power gym. And Coach, Gambino, Coach Foster called me in the office before and said, hey, we want you to start. You got the feel of the changeup from last outing. We want you to start. And I said, if, if that we kind of decided that's what the best thing for the team was at the time, that's what we were going to do. And we were facing UVA that weekend. Um, Coach Foster said I had 60 pitches. I don't think I had thrown more than 30 that year to that point. So it was, it was a very funny story between Mike and I. I came back in the room, um, and they had told us we were going to be going on the same day because we were going to start playing. Like, we are going to be going two and three. We we're going to match our – us is the two again against their two and three. So our us two as against their two and three and try to set us up in situations to win the series every weekend. We had a chance to win the series on the back end every weekend. And uh, I walked into the room with Mike and after we had talked about it, I was like, man, I hadn't started since sophomore year. I don't even know what a starter's routine is. So fast forward, come to Saturday, this man is in the locker room with me telling me, Hey, okay, start stretching. Go in the training room, get your heat pack, come out. Okay, now start long tossing. And, and I don't know if anyone has a video, but the first day, my first starting at UVA, my, you would thought Mike King was my pitching coach. He was walking back with me every throw, telling me what to think about, standing, me, standing next to me in the bullpen, reading me the bullpen routine, um, helping me mentally get locked in, sitting next to me in the, in the dugout, just talking about game planning and stuff. So a lot of that success that I had in that year was on King, and he really walked me through a lot of it. You hear a lot from a lot of uh, professional baseball players that play in Boston uh, that it's a really tough city to play in for African-Americans. And I wonder, 
what it was like for you because I, it seems like playing in college might be a little different from playing in the pros and that you're, you're kind of insulated on the campus. What was it like for you being in Boston? I, I mean, I had a great time at BC. I loved, I loved my time at BC. Um, I will, I will say there were, I did receive some comments when we would play down South. Um, and I did receive a couple comments when I would go to Fenway games, but, um, on BC's campus, I had nothing but amazing, amazing experiences and, and some great times, but there are always going to be those instances where uh, people have their own opinions and would like to voice their own opinions. And now at the professional level, what was it like to get traded for? I mean, that's a, I would almost think that's an honor to be traded for Robinson Cano, who's, um, you know, potential Hall of Fame guy, but also, you know, it probably has its downsides too. What was that like? It was tough because at that point in my career, I was finally starting to envision myself playing at City Field, planning how I was going to tell my parents um, that I got the call to get to go to the big leagues. Um, I had just won Pitcher of the Year and was starting to get to know everybody in the organization, starting to get comfortable and really excited about learning from the guys that taught DeGrom and taught uh, Matt and taught Harvey and taught Wheeler and taught um, – all the other great pitchers that had come along in the organization, I was just starting to get up into the upper level coaching and learning from those guys hands on. So I was super excited about that. And um, also just being home and knowing that my first start there, if it was at home, I could sleep in my own childhood bed and have my mom make me breakfast and and drive my car to the stadium and not have to stay in a hotel and and have that sense of comfort to make that transition even easier um, already set up for me. But at the same time, if you would have asked me in 2016 what organization I was going to play for out of the draft, it was going to be the Seattle Mariners. So in a way, it was things coming full circle for me, and God placed me where I was supposed to be uh, or where he wanted me to be in in his plan for me. So I was extremely excited about that and extremely excited to come over to an organization where there's going to be opportunity. Um, Jerry Jerry DePoto was very open from our first phone call talking about there was going to be opportunity. Skip told me the same thing, and um, I was – extremely happy to receive the opportunity and try to make the most of it. Um, but it was, it was definitely a lot of highs and lows, but extremely grateful, especially with Robbie Cano being one of my childhood heroes growing up as a Yankee fan. So it was pretty cool to say I got, uh, was mentioned in a trade with his name. Made it even better. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, I remember covering when you got drafted uh, 19th overall and it was exciting, obviously not a lot of guys that play in new England, get drafted that high. And then I was just looking you up like a week ago. And I'm like, oh, how did he end up in Seattle? And then I saw Robinson Cano and I was like, wow, well, that's not bad. You got traded for a potential Hall of Famer. Now making your major league debut last year, did your parents get to go out for that? Did they get a chance to see you and make your debut? Yes, sir. I actually pitched on my mom's birthday, my mom and my grandpa's birthday. Uh, the day before was my dad's birthday. So their first time on a major league stadium with me was on my dad's birthday. So that was that was a cool birthday present to them. And then my girlfriend was there, and Coach Gambino actually flew out and surprised me. And he was there for my first start as well, and my little brother. And yeah. um, and now you're right. I mean, you're right probably where you've dreamt of being your entire life, where you could be right on the precipice of being a regular, you know, starting rotation pitcher. Are you start? Are have you had a minute to think about that and soak it in? Uh, yeah, I'm dialed in right now, man. Um, trying not to think about it too much, and and trying to keep it as normal as possible. I think that was the thing that kind of hurt me a little bit last year was I made it bigger than what it really is. So I'm really just trying to keep it simple and and understand I'm just playing baseball. That's all it is. Just playing baseball and 
the stadium's a little bigger, the field's a little brighter, but it's the same game, 60 feet, six inches, and, and keep attacking hitters. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. Before I let you go, I, I do applaud you for using your platform to speak out about uh, racial injustice. As you move forward, is, are there organizations that you recommend people look out for? Uh, we have some cool stuff coming with the African-American players in, in Major League Baseball called the Players Alliance. Um, so definitely look into that. We're going to be doing some really cool stuff coming here soon, and, and I'm really excited to be aligned with some of the some of the African-American players that have paved the way for me to be here. Awesome. Well, Justin, I really appreciate you taking the time. Congratulations on getting to where you are now, and uh, thanks so much. No problem. Thank you. Hey, everyone. If you're just discovering New England Baseball Journal through our podcast, be sure to check us out online at BaseballJournal.com, where you'll find daily content on the New England baseball scene with in-depth coverage on preps, high school, the youth game, college baseball, MLB draft, college commitments, the minors, summer leagues, and the pros, and a whole lot more. Right now, you can get an all-access plan, which includes unlimited access to our daily website, plus every issue of our print magazine delivered to your home, office, dorm, or clubhouse for only $99.99 per year. It's simple. Just log on to BaseballJournal.com and click on the subscribe button to find the subscription that's right for you and get in the game with New England Baseball Journal. It's time to go around the diamond for a look at news items and nuggets from the New England baseball scene. For more insight on any of these news items, visit BaseballJournal.com. Tryouts for the East Coast Pro Showcase and Area Code Games are underway. A collection of the Northeast top high school players squared off for exhibition games against Futures League opponents on July 13th and 14th. And additional tryout opportunities are planned for July 20th at Fraser Field in Lynn and July 27th at Holman Stadium in Nashua. Nine New England high school players participated in the first two tryouts, while the rest of the roster spots were filled by players from New York and New Jersey. The nine New England players included Dexter School outfielder Joshua Baez, North Attleboro High pitcher Dennis Colloran, Phillips Academy infielder Jack Penny, Boston English infielder Yvonne Arias, St. Peter Marion Central pitcher Luke DeLongchamp, Salisbury School first baseman Carlos Pena, Central Connecticut catcher Matt Maloney, St. Mark's School catcher Levi McAllister, and new Fairfield High catcher Matthew Garbowski. The NCAA transfer portal continues to churn with three-time All-Patriot League selection Austin Mazel finalizing his plans to transfer from Holy Cross to the University of Richmond. Three-time All-Ivy League catcher Liam McGill will make the move to Bryant University this fall from Columbia. The top New England prep school series continues this week with a look at the 2011 Lawrence Academy squad led by current San Francisco Giants pitcher Tyler Beattie. For more on any of these stories, visit BaseballJournal.com. BC alumnus Mike Gambino has been the head baseball coach at his alma mater since 2010. He brought the Eagles to the program's first NCAA tournament in seven years in 2016. Since 2016, BC has appeared in three out of four ACC tournaments for the first time since joining the league in 2006. Last season, Boston College went 31-27 and and reached the ACC Championship semifinals as the 12 seed with wins over Clemson 
and top-seeded Louisville. A program record five Eagles earned all ACC honors. Mike, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, how are th- how are you holding up this summer? Is uh, what have you been up to baseball wise? Yeah, it's a little bit crazy for everybody, right? Um, you know, we're all missing baseball. We're all missing big league baseball. I'm hoping these these camps, you know, summer camp or spring training too, whatever. We're hoping these go well because uh, I think everybody's gonna be really excited for opening day next week. Um, and you know, and then baseball wise. You know, we've kind of done what we can to try to stay on the field the best we can. You know, we've been uh, helping some of the local travel teams. Um, the NCAA rules allow you to, to work with a, a team if all 50, if all the kids on the team are within 50 miles of campus. Um, so we've been trying to help and coach some of those guys to stay on the field and stay engaged. And, and um, I'm also helping the, the Needham uh, American Legion team, you know, uh, these all kids from, from the town I live in Needham, and um, that's been really fun to be around those guys. Um, so, you know, trying to do the best we can to stay around the game, and and then, um, and then just staying in touch with with our team. Um, you know, we've we've had a ton of Zoom meetings. We were doing weekly for a while. Now that the summer leagues are going, we're we've kind of bounced them down to every other week or every three weeks, depending on. Um, on how things are going, but you know, to kind of make sure the the guys are first and foremost okay in all this. You know, keep trying to stay on their mental health and make sure they're they're safe and healthy and okay, and then also just keep them kind of motivated and moving forward. Yeah. Now it's funny. I was looking up your bio, and I, I consider you a young coach. You know, a young head coach for you know an NCAA Division One team. And it, it struck me that you've been a, the head coach there since 2010 because, you know, like I said, I consider you a younger guy. How old were you when you became the head coach there? I had just turned 32. Okay. Um, I was, yeah, I was like two weeks after my 32nd birthday um, when I got hired here. So, yeah, I was extremely lucky. And, you know, Gene DiFilippo was the AD at the time and um, – you know, to, to hire me as a young head coach. And, um, yeah, I do. It's, it's, it's funny. I, I have that sort of weird feeling. Cause I, you know, I, I'm still the, head, the youngest head coach in our conference. Um, and it's funny to have that weird feeling that I am the, a lot of times a young head coach in most circumstances, but I've also been lucky enough to be head coach for 10 years. So I'm very, I'm very, very lucky. And I, that I was able to get this experience, um, you know, extremely young and, um, you know, the good news about being a head coach for, for that long is you get a chance to make some mistakes and, and continue to learn from your mistakes, right? Ten years worth of mistakes that you get to learn from. Yeah, and and you had a great playing career at BC, too. You set a uh, team record for single-season hits and earned all Big East, and you played professionally as well. When did you start to get a sense that you, you wanted to get into coaching as your profession? Uh, honestly, I always knew I wanted to coach. Um, I used to actually joke with the guys here when I was a player here that I would I wanted to be the head coach here someday. And um, when 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 Gene DiFilippo again, who's the AD that hired me, when he hired me, he told a story that after my last game as a player here, I walked into his office. Uh, I wanted to thank him for everything he'd done in the program and at BC and, and I walked out right before I walked out, I said, you're going to hire me someday. So I looked back at that 22 year old punk that, that, you know, I can't believe I was that 
uh, I don't know if it was cocky or ambitious or what the word was to tell an athletic director that. Um, but I knew I wanted to coach, um, you know, and, um, you know, the ability to, you know, I come from a family of teachers. So the, the impact that you can have on young people, you know, that, that's always been something that's really been appealing to me. Um, you know, I bounced back and forth between college and professional baseball for a while. And I, I debated staying in professional baseball, but, um, the, you know, I take very seriously that I have a hand in helping raise these boys. They're, they're, you know, even though they're big and strong and premature, when they come to college, when those kids go leave high school, and come to college, they're boys. Right. And, and our job here is, is to help them along the road of growing into men. Uh, and, um, it's one of the things that I love so much about coaching at Boston College is, we, is the idea of formation is so central to our mission and helping these, again, boys that they come in grow into men and more importantly, men for others as a university, men and women for others, but specifically the 35 on our roster to help them to grow into men for others um, is just is something that I that I believe in, that I that I enjoy um, and it's it's central to our mission in our program here and it's central to our mission as a university. Yeah, the BC job, you know, like you said, it's got so many pluses. It does seem to have its fair share of challenges when you think about it from, well, from a New England perspective, it's as competitive as it gets in terms of facilities, recruiting, talent, um, all of those things. But you're not really competing against other New England schools in the ACC um, what are some of the challenges in competing with those, you know, so many Southern schools that are, you know, they have the better weather, you know, 12 months a year, they can get outside and play. And then when it comes to recruiting guys who want to, who want to play at that level, is it difficult to get them to come to new England? Well, obviously in new England, uh, you have to play in cold weather, but you know, we've grown to know and, and understand and believe that if you want to win a world series, you got to go through Boston in October and, uh, I've been at Fenway Park in the World Series, and it is cold. So the way I talk about it is if you don't want to play in cold weather, then you don't want to play in the World Series, right? I mean, you know, what are you going to do? If you don't want to play in cold weather, then you better tell the Mets and the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Tigers and the Cubs, and the list goes on and on, tell those teams not to draft you, you know? And then what are you going to do in the Eastern League? You're going to play double A, a lot of cold weather towns, triple A, a lot of cold weather towns. So um, I don't really try to – talk kids out of that if they think if cold weather is an issue for them then it's probably in the right the right place for them and yeah and the thing that people don't realize is it's cold everywhere in college baseball at the start of the season I mean you know the um so I don't I don't spend a lot of time really dwelling on that for a kid that thinks they have to find better weather than then I'm fine with that um and and I tell you what the weather down south you get to the end of the year it's just as challenging on the other side. I mean, those guys are fighting dehydration, you know, and thunderstorms. So there's, there's always challenges in, with, as it comes to weather. So I'm not worried about that. You know, the, the bigger challenges early on in my career here was, you know, before we had our facility built with facilities, you know, that was a big challenge for us in the recruiting process for, for a while. And, you know, now that we're extremely lucky with the Harrington Athletics Village built and the Pete Frady Center, um, you know, scheduled to open the sock, you know, would have been open August 1st if it wasn't for, for COVID. And now we're looking at October at some point in October to be able to move in that building. Um, you know, we have already shown here that we um, can develop 
players at an incredibly high level. Um, you know, three guys in the big leagues last year and the success that our guys have has been in professional baseball um, has been pretty well documented. And, you know, we have the most guys making the big, we have the most guys since 2015 making their big league debut in the ACC, um, which is, is pretty, pretty amazing stat. So the ability to develop players was even here before we had facilities and now we had those facilities. And then as far as the challenges of playing in the ACC, uh, that's, that's what makes this league so amazing, right? That, you know, for 10 ACC weekends a year, you're playing a, a national championship contender. Um, so, you know, you, you get a chance to, to play in what I believe is the best baseball conference in the country against, uh, you know, great coaches and great players and great venues. Um, I guess when you talk about that as a challenge, it depends on how you look at it. We look at that as something that we love. Yeah, and I, I've talked to you about that before when you're recruiting guys. There's a, a mental toughness that you're looking for. You're not, like you just said, you're not looking for guys who are going to say, hey, it's not, you know, 75 degrees and sunny here all year round. You want them to be mental tough, mentally tough, and you want them to uh, be able to meet some of the challenges that you're going to encounter in baseball regardless of what the weather is. You know, that you're going to go for an 0 for 20 slump and you need to be able to pull yourself out of that without starting to mope around and question everything that you're doing and kind of trust your process. I actually spoke with a guy who kind of fits that mold, Justin Dunn, uh, one of your former players, a former first-round pick, who looks like he's going to be possibly in a six-man rotation, starting rotation for the Seattle Mariners um, this year. And he was talking about his recruiting experience. I guess he was really under the radar uh, coming out of, as you know, you know, coming out of the gunnery. I, he said he was like 5'9", 140 as a senior, and BC was really his only offer coming out of high school, what did you see in him? And um, did you worry, like, do you ever worry when you're rounding out your roster? Obviously, rosters are expanded this next year. But when you take a chance on a, kind of a long shot like that, do you ever worry, hey, we're going to fill our roster with guys who aren't going to contribute? Like, what, what in Justin did you see that made you think this guy's a stud? One of the things that we do here that's somewhat different than a lot of the teams we compete against is, um, you know, this, the idea of over-recruiting has gotten out of control in college baseball, um, you know, and, and, you know, so for me, you, you recruit the right 10 kids every year, give or take, right? Because it is a 35-man roster and you do have limited scholarships and, and you get the kids that, that you believe in and, and, and you go with it. Um, you know, there's a lot of kids around New England that have committed to places that never ended up there or, um, you know, went there for a year and was sent on their way. and ended up at junior colleges, different places. And um, I know that's somewhat becoming the way of college baseball world, but I I don't think that's, um, I don't think that's good for our game. I don't think that's good for college baseball. I don't think it's good for the development of kids going to professional baseball. I don't think it's good for kids and families. So, you know, we have to be really selective with everything that we're doing to make sure we're getting those right kids. And, And it starts with tremendously high character kids, tremendously competitive kids, kids that want to be great teammates, um, you know, kids that are driven academically. There's a lot of those that we look to make sure we're getting those right kids. So now you loop that back into Justin, you know, there, there are kids that you, um, that you look at that you have to project on. And Justin was a kid we had to project on. Um, I knew we were getting, you know, you didn't have to project on his makeup and his character and the type of kid he was, but you had to project on, on, 
on the body and and this you know the stuff and the arms you know the arm speed and all those things um and that's kind of what we did you know we sort of joked at the time that when we signed justin i said to some people that people are gonna make fun of us for a couple of years and then he's gonna be a second round pick and that was kind of the, the joke that we had because he was undersized and it, it hadn't come yet and but but i i you know, we as a staff at the time really believed in him. And the more you met him and got to know him, the more it was easy to, to believe in him. Um, you know, and we had to do our research. I mean, you know, we, you know, we believed he was going to grow for a lot of different reasons and, uh, and, and that his, his body was going to come and the arm strength was just starting to come. Um, you know, he, his arm strength started to come a little senior year. You know, he, uh, he tested 91 for the first time as a senior. That hadn't happened. You know, we had never seen that. Um, you know, but, but then it continued to, to grow as he got here, both his velocity, but his command, you know, Justin had, had trouble throwing strikes a little bit his freshman year and, and we sort of just continued to help him and work through it. But part of it was his velocity kept growing, but also his body kept growing. I mean, you're, you're trying to learn how to repeat your delivery when you're, you know, it felt like he was, you know, you know, he, we, we had to give him new t-shirts twice and in the middle of a year because he was just growing out of clothes. I mean, he's just growing so much. It's hard to try to repeat your delivery when your body's growing that much and you're gaining that much weight. And, you know, so the development process with Justin um, was something we believed would come. Um, and yeah, he was under the radar, but looking back to where our program was at that point, most of our kids were under the radar. All of our kids were really under the radar. You know, a, a program hadn't had a lot of, you know, historical success and we had, you know, terrible facilities. And so, so we had, we had to, we had to project on some kids. Um, you know, that was kind of part of the deal and we're always going to do that. We're always going to take some, some kids that we believe in and, um, and help them grow and develop. Yeah. One of the reasons I reached out to Justin is I saw a story about how he's decided to become more outspoken about racial injustice and police brutality. I talked to him about his experience growing up playing baseball as one of the lone African-American players on just about every team that he's been on. Obviously, he said he, he really enjoyed his experience at BC, as you know. Uh, but he did say throughout his time there, he was one of very few African-American players in the ACC. Um, was that at all a concern to you or anything that you needed to account for when you recruited him uh, from the, gun, the gunnery? If that's not something that is a concern to your account for in the recruiting process. Right? We, we want to get... Um, good baseball players and great students and tremendously high character kids with, with integrity and, and that, are, that want to be great teammates and that want to win all those things we talked about, you know, regardless of, you know, of race or ethnicity and, and, you know, Justin just fit for all those things. And, and we had other, we did and have had other African-American players. Um, and, and, um, you know, having diversity in our program is important for sure. It's something that we want, um, you know, but it, it has to be, kids that are good enough to help us win and it has to be kids that are good enough to um, good enough you know, so character and integrity. They got to be that right fit. And, you know, Justin, Justin's a special kid, man. You spend a little bit of time with him and the family um, and you just realize how much you want to be around him, you know? So, um, you know, and then as far as the ACC, I, I mean, I'd be lying to you. I don't know what he talked about, but, we did run into some things when we were playing at other ACC programs um, and, and with fans at different times. And it was devastating to, to me and to us that you still have to deal with that nowadays. And, you know, we, we would work through it. And, um, 
you know, I, um, I'm, I'm proud of Justin for a million reasons for the man he is becoming as he's, you know, I mean, he's, he is as good as you see him on the mound. Justin is a great man and he is going to be a, um, a great father and a great husband someday. Um, and, you know, for him to speak out, I'm proud of him for to speak out on something that um, it's hard to understand in 2020 that we're still having to fight these battles, but we are. And I'm really, really proud of him. He and I have talked a lot about this um, and his father as well over the past couple months. And it's also, you know, our, our mission at Boston college as university in some ways is so simple, meaning this Jesuit idea of creating men and women for others. And it becomes so embedded into us all as Boston college alum to then see Justin and, and, and be a man for others in this scenario, I think it, it makes me really proud of him. And again, I tell all my guys what, whether or not they ever play in the big leagues or pitch in the big leagues or get one out here. I mean, ultimately it doesn't really matter. It's, it's what can we do when we leave here to go out and make the world a better place. And Justin has a platform and a voice. And um, I know it's, it's important to him. It's important to us. It's important to the country. So for him to do that in, in whatever way he decides and how he sees fit, um, it, I can't tell you how proud I am of him. And again, if he doesn't get an out for the Mariners for the rest of his career, um, it wouldn't really matter. I just, I, I can't tell you. It's hard to, it's hard to explain how proud I am. Yeah. He's really impressive. And it's, it's, it's certainly not something, I don't think any of us are necessarily a hundred percent comfortable speaking about those topics because you know, it's a lot easier to sit and talk about, you know, your forcing fastball or, you know, what the Seattle Mariners schedule is. And so it was impressive to see him, you know, take on this new responsibility and uh, talk about it in a really responsible way. Um, now, I wanted to get back to your uh, your plans for the rest of the summer. I know there's a lot of uncertainty about. Uh, how everything's going to play out, and whether you know we're going to be back on campuses in the fall, or um, you know what football the football season is going to look like, what budgets are going to look like, what baseball is going to look like, um, and what are your plans uh, over the next couple of weeks as you kind of prepared with that uncertainty? Yeah, I mean, you know, first and foremost, we're going to continue recruiting the best we can um, in a very focused way. You know, we're not going to this blanket recruiting where. Um, we just commit as many kids as possible and sort it out when everything opens up. It's making sure that we're getting the, the, the kids that we have enough information on both at, on the field academically and as far as people and character. And, um, so we're being very focused on our recruiting, um, to continue to build this team and build this roster. And, um, you know, we, we know this going forward, we you know that there, there are going to be regionals in Boston, the Harrington athletics, Village is going to host regionals coming up. We know that. We all believe in it, um, you know, and and that's true of the roster we have in the for, in the near future, but also these are kids we're working on for the foreseeable future over the next couple of years. So, you know, spending that time um, recruiting um, and then spending a lot of our time just making sure our boys are okay um, through everything. Um, specifically, you know, my time is going to go to 
making sure, you know, first and foremost, my family's okay. And then the, the staff and our players are okay. And then continue the recruiting. And that's kind of where that time is really being spent, making sure the people um, in and around our, our family and our program um, are, are safe and healthy and able to continue to develop and grow. Um, and then, yeah, it, it, you know, nobody know, really knows any, you know, I, I keep joking that, you know, the answer of the year to every question is, I don't know, <laughs> right? Like every, every, every question, it doesn't matter if you're in college athletics and if you're in professional sports, if you own a restaurant or run a business or every answer is, I don't know, man, everybody's kind of going day to day. Um, you know, I'm extremely lucky to work at a place like Boston college who is very fiscally responsible as a university and an athletic department. Um, in that I do believe we're going to come out of this. I, I know and believe that we will come out of this university wide really, really well. I believe in our leadership here and I know what we're talking about doing, um, and athletics department wide, um, you know, and, and we just had, we, we just hired a new athletic director. Martin Jarman was our athletic director for three years and he did amazing things. Um, very lucky to have been around him and worked for him and, um, and now consider him a friend. I mean, we were texting last night, um, you know, and he went to UCLA and we just hired Pat Kraft from Temple. And, um, you know, I've been able to meet with him and talk to him on the phone. And, and um, I, I really, really am excited to work with him. The, the progress and the momentum that Martin has been building for the last couple of years, there's no doubt in my mind that Pat is going to continue with and build upon. Um, I am optimistic. I know, you know, we as a country are going to get through COVID. Um, and as that starts to happen, I'm really, really excited to be able to be here at Boston College because I know we're going to come out of this um, as well as possible. Good deal. Well, Mike, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been fun catching up with you. And um, enjoy the rest of your summer. But thanks, thanks for being generous with your time today. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having us on. And thank you uh, for continuing to talk about baseball and baseball in New England. And uh, you know, hopefully pretty soon we'll be – talking about the Red Sox. <laughs> That'd be good. Yeah, I hope so. All right, Mike, take care. Thanks so much. Thanks, Dan. Thanks again for listening to the New England Journal podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on your preferred platform and get updates every time a new podcast drops. Thanks to Justin Dunn and Mike Gambino for sharing their stories with our listeners. The New England Baseball Journal podcast is a Siemens Media production.